Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to see you today. Yeah, you can laugh. <laughs> My name's Richard Stamp. I'm one of the pastors here. It's uh, really good to see you. And I, and I do want to extend the, uh, the welcome to you that Nathaniel's already uh, offered, particularly if you're here this morning for Evie's baptism. You're so welcome here. And it should really go without saying that we are also so pleased as a church family for Evie and so proud of her as she takes this really important step in her faith. You'll see her video testimony later on, and uh, I had the privilege of watching that earlier this week. I genuinely mean this. I've been a Christian for 25 odd years. I think this is the best, clearest, most powerful testimony I have ever heard. It's incredible. Uh, So I hope you brought your tissues. I defy you to not cry when you hear it. What, uh, what Evie is symbolically declaring today is, as she gets baptized is kind of more or less what I'll be speaking about today. The, the central claim of the Christian faith, if you're new to Christianity, is, is this. All of us were created by God and we were made for relationship with God because he loves us. And uh, Evie has very wisely and bravely chosen to acknowledge that today just to catch you up if you haven't been around for the past few weeks. We're in the middle of a five-week preaching series. It's called The Air That We Breathe, and uh, it's based on this helpful book that'll come up on the screen by a guy called Glenn Scrivener. And uh, we're taking five hot topics in contemporary culture. They're issues to do with personal identity and sexuality and justice and equality, issues that are really at the heart of the hottest controversies and battles of our present cultural moment, and we want to equip you and help you to be able to understand and answer some of these difficult questions, and also just to make sense of them as well. And the claim that we make as we look at these issues is that everywhere and in every way that people respond to these kind of hot issues of our time is actually a response to the Christian worldview, to our design as creatures of God, designed by God, as I said, to be in relationship with God. And in that sense, Christianity is the air that we breathe. That's a, that's a big claim to make. I appreciate that. But that's the contention at the heart of the series. That's what Evie is saying today. She recognizes that there really is only one right way to live this life, and that's in relationship with God. And by implication, what we're saying that is, uh, if this is true then any other sort of lifestyle will invariably not satisfy the human heart fully, and it will leave us wanting something deeper and something more, something sometimes that's very obvious in your life, and other times it's kind of tucked away in your heart, and you you may not even actually be fully in tune with this reality, but uh, it manifests in all sorts of unhelpful ways by searching for this deep longing that we all have for relationship with God by trying to find him in other things. I hope that makes sense. I hope that gives you kind of a a broad overview of the claim I'm going to try and prove and unpack today. Today, specifically, I want to talk about the issues of equality and justice. So much of what we see in our culture is tied up with a deep sense that people should, of course, be viewed as equal. I I believe that, by the way, and I, I hope that you do as well, that all people are of equal worth. Different, of course, in many ways, but equal in value before God. And the reason I've chosen this topic to talk about is because so much of the cultural narrative at the moment has to do with the assumption that not everyone necessarily feels this sense of equal value 
in their own lives. When we, for example, wear armbands, when we wave banners and protest, when we take the knee before sports matches, when we strike from our places of work, when we demand to be identified a certain way, there's an underlying sense and an underlying message that my rights are not being recognized in the same way that your rights are. It's a kind of cry of injustice. That's what's at the heart of this. It's a justice issue. It's people's way of saying, it's not fair that I don't have the opportunities that you do, or I don't get paid what you do, or that my identity isn't on par with yours, or the people that I represent haven't been treated as fairly as you. It's just not fair. And this, of course, only makes sense when viewed through the lens of Christianity. You'll recall from previous weeks that in a, in a pre-Christian world, ancient Greek thinkers, ancient religions, religions, ancient cultures, just simply didn't see the world like this. They just recognized that some people by nature were simply made stronger and better than others. Some were masters, some were enslaved. Men were above women, children had no rights at all. And Every single major society in world history was built on that understanding. In fact, every single, every single major culture was built on slavery, every single one. And so Christianity literally turns the whole world upside down and the whole social order upside down as Jesus comes along preaching a message of salvation for all people, Jews, non-Jews, women, children, slaves, masters, Anybody can have a relationship with God and find their deepest sense of purpose. And even more than that, can have eternal life with God. Anybody. The Roman senator, the barbarian slave, street kids, lepers, prostitutes. That's the gospel. That was completely countercultural and remains so today. And this is true because all of us were made by God as an overflow of his own loving nature. And in that sense, every single person, every single one of us was foreseen and planned by God, was made by God, and has had this desire for relationship with God sown into their heart. And in that sense, we do all stand equal before God. It explains why healthy, loving relationship is so important to us and why so much pain in the world is caused when that's missing. And it's all rooted in this very simple verse at the very beginning of the Bible story, at the very beginning of human history is God creates the universe and he starts time and he makes as the high point of his creation, us, man and woman. There are over 31,000 verses in the Bible, but right at the start, just 27 verses in, this is what we read. It says, in the beginning, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There, there simply is no other worldview or religion that makes this claim. This, this beautiful claim that you and I and everyone else throughout history was made by God, was planned and purposed by God, and then brought to life through his godlike actions in our lives and in the world, men and women equally created in his image. 
It doesn't say that, I don't know, women were kind of 81% made in his image and that men only 60%, although if you've ever used a men's locker room or been on a stag do, you, uh, you could be forgiven for thinking that. But the simple truth of this simple statement is this, that you and I are made by God and we're made like God in that we were made for all the things that he is, loving, relational, creative, spiritual, and therefore, we all stand equal before God. That's a starting point. That's a, that's a stunning claim to make against the whole flow of human history, which until very recently would not have seen the world in those terms. It was only in 1928 that women were allowed to vote in this country. The Children's Act only came into effect 70 years ago, but from the very start, we're told that we could and should have saved ourselves a whole lot of trouble and warfare and slavery and racism and injustice because all of us, without exception, were made by God, for God, and completely equally in his image. And that our highest purpose in the world and the only way to live this life right and to run in the right lane and to avoid swerving off all over the place and falling into all sorts of pain and relational and emotional breakages is to live for God and to find our, our soul satisfaction, our identity, what we're looking for, our deep relational need in Him. And it's therefore when we don't that we get ourselves into all sorts of trouble. We see this all throughout human history, tyrants, dictators, wars, enslavers, they all fail to recognize the simplicity of the creation story and the creation mandate for us to live in relationship with God and with one another. And so they went searching for these things in other places, tragically often in domination and abuse and injustice, because all of those things also carry a kind of a veneer of achieving self-identity and success and power and the affirmation of others, which is freely offered to us by God in the first place. And so, when we fail to note this, we end up demanding rights from others that we shouldn't need to. And we feel injustice in the world that we shouldn't need to. And we seek equality in the world that we shouldn't need to because it was all given to us at the point of creation. All people created equally by God. That's the Christian worldview. In that sense, there is really only one story across all humanity. It's the story of humankind, of you and I, made by God, loved by God, to be in relationship with God. And every other story, every life, every life story is simply a sub-story of that story. Antonio Martinez, a writer, makes this beautiful observation. He says, the Western mind is like a tuning fork calibrated to one frequency, the Christ story. Hit it with the right Christ figure and it'll just hum deafeningly in resonance. In other words, deep down inside, we're all searching for a relationship with Christ. And in the absence of this, various issues and relationships and people and situations will offer a kind of resonance of what Christ offers, the kind of ting on the tuning fork and bring something up in us, but they don't always quite hit the mark. And so we end up following that sound down a blind alley, searching for what we think 
will satisfy us. But these things can only ever be, at best, a pale imitation of relationship with God, and at worst, a complete distortion of it. If I win this war, if I dominate this person, if I make this much money, then the world will recognize me and affirm me, and my life would have meant something. But at the point of creation, God says, I've made you, and I've made you to be in relationship with me, and I completely offer you identity and meaning and purpose and love and affirmation. So go off into the world and create beautiful things and form beautiful relationships because all of those things are meant to be like that tuning fork. They're meant to reverberate and remind you of and point you back to me and what I'm like. Now, as this pertains to the current cultural moment in which we find ourselves, I think there are some examples of how we attempt to express this as a society, but where we also don't quite hit the mark. And here's an example. On Wednesday this past week, it was International Women's Day, which according to the official International Women's Day website is meant to be a global day celebrating the social, economic, and political achievements of women. It also says that this day is a call to action for accelerating women's equality. It's there, it's in the culture. Now, all of that is, of course, good and positive stuff and stuff which I agree with, but again, it asks the question, why do we so value equality? And the answer is Christianity. Throughout most of human history, to use this example, women have been unfairly treated and for the most part not regarded as equal with men, and that is because that is what nature without God teaches us that the strongest survive, that might is right, that just as the ancient Greeks would have said, well, of course men are higher up the social scale than women, just as Greeks are higher up the social scale than other nations, and adults are higher up the social scale than children, and masters are higher up the social scale than slaves. That's just the way of the natural world, which makes it all the more noticeable that what Jesus teaches and what Christianity offers is a radical reorientation of social relationships, in which we are regarded as of equal value, made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, highly favored. Christianity kickstarts the human rights and equality revolution. Hence, in terms of the equality agenda, Christianity is the air that we breathe. It's because of this that we have things like International Women's Day. The problem, of course, is that so much of the the fight for equality nowadays isn't actually based on the kind of goodwill that Jesus commends, but it's actually a power struggle for rights, which is based on a foundation in our culture, and this is what we need to have our eyes open to, of increasing victimhood and grievance. That's why we take up arms. It's because I feel like I've been less equitably treated that I take up this cause. And the problem with that is that it becomes a type of power struggle in and of itself. Whereas equality, as Christianity understands it, comes from Genesis 1.27, that we're all equal in the sight of God, and all people, male, female, regardless of age and nationality and race, do stand equal before God. And what has happened here is that this has been distorted by sin. It's been distorted as we've traveled culturally far away from God's ideal of how we should relate to one another. And the way to recover this is not by power, it's not by the pursuit of power, but by the pursuit of humility, 
That's how we're to respond to one another and live in this world. Just look at this for a a power punch on this issue from Philippians 2. It says in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, be like Jesus. Have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality something to be used to his own advantage, to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And then being found in appearance as a man, just a normal person, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the model of humility. Christ accomplishes his mission, not by grasping for power, but by laying down his rights. And that's what this passage instructs us to do. And so the positive message of equality, insofar as the Christian story goes, is that it's when we act with humility towards one another, taking the attitude of a servant towards our fellow man, not considering godlike status and domination and power something to be grasped and lauded over our fellow man. That's when we achieve equality. That's why the whole Bible storyline starts with humankind walking away from God, perfect peace, perfect relationship, and then Eden is lost, the world starts to go to hell in a handbasket, and Jesus has to come and make that right on our behalf by his death on the cross. He takes the full force of the blow for us so that now we can live in relationship with God, albeit in a still pretty messed up and broken world. And at the end of time, Jesus returns to bring his people back into relational fullness with him and perfects and restores everything that is broken. That final chapter of the Bible, by the way, is called Eden Restored. That's the trajectory we're on. The whole climax of human history is humankind dwelling with God, fully in relationship with God in a renewed earth. That's the whole flow of traffic, culturally, spiritually, and otherwise. And in that place, there will be no more tears or war or death or racism or the endless tiring fight for our rights because in fullness of relationship with God, All that we ever need is found in him. And there is therefore no need for us to wave banners and protest and fight for equality and justice because before a loving God, we are all equal. We are much loved and equally valued children of God. And so the problem of the human condition which we need to resolve is this. We fail to recognize who we're made by and why. We fail to see that all we need is found in God. And so we start to look around at what others have got or haven't got, and we start to cry, they've got more, it's not fair. And we get into a power struggle instead of adopting a position of humility. And we forget that when all's been said and done, we are equal before God, and we're all equally offered relationship with God. And so we try to find this and heal this inner ache for meaning and affirmation by demanding it from others. But we are who we are. We're children of God, and so we'll never find it apart from Him. But we still want the things that are deeply instilled in us. We still want the things that He has knitted into our hearts. In other words, Our culture wants the kingdom of God, but not the king. And that's not going to work. You simply cannot be the king or the queen of the kingdom of your own making and dispense 
of God and expect it to be like Eden, the place of beauty and peace where God and man, where God came and dwelled face to face and in peace with mankind. We, we threw that off and we found ourselves in a bit of a pickle. And now we wait in eager expectation for Eden to be restored. It's our only hope. Eden restored is our only hope. Relationship with God is our only hope. Jesus' death on the cross, which enables this for us, is our only hope. That's why he's called the Savior. Only he can save you. Only he can make a way for relationship with God. Only he points you to God. Only he, even now, this morning, is presenting you to God. Only he prays for you and commends you to God. Only he says you are deeply loved by God, made by him, and not just with equal, but with incredibly high value. Your self-esteem, your fight for justice, your raging against all that is wrong in your life and your relationships and your emotions and the world, shh, he says, I've made all that right. Just come to me and rediscover your purpose in me. We have the, the values of the kingdom deeply sown into our hearts. That's what we're striving for. That's what our culture is striving for. But we need the king of the kingdom to realize it for us. We see evidences of this all throughout history too. These godly values for equality and justice played out all over, all over the place. Christianity, rightly practiced, has been a significant force for equality and justice being established. When we fight for the values of the kingdom of God, recognizing that there is a king to be loved and followed, we see the abolition of slavery. We see the fight for civil rights resolved in the USA. We see rights for women and children. We see equity between nations. Orphanages, hospitals, the abolition of workhouses for children, social care for others, all prescribed in the Judeo-Christian laws, all written into God's laws for humanity, all placed into our hearts by our Creator. It's the only explanation for how we value anyone else or anything else at all. Consider this, my, my shirt is probably worth about 15 quid. But if I told you that this shirt had been handcrafted on a sewing machine by Giorgio Armani, its value would change. It's still a cotton shirt. Nothing in its composition has changed. That's just how it is. We assign value to things not because they are made of certain elements like cotton. You cut me open, I'm the same as the rest of you. But because of who they are made by, who they are connected to, their story, how their story interacts with your story. And, uh, and that's the whole point. We, we, all of us, find ourselves one way or another in God's story, whether you like it or not, and therefore in one another's story, because we all originated from the same God. That's where we get our sense of value from. That's where we get our sense of equality from. It's all because Genesis 1.27 tells us that we're made by God, male and female, made by God, equally made like God. It's why the Bible lays out instruction after instruction for how we're supposed to interact with one another. And let me tell you, if we did this, there'd be no need for placarding or taking the knee or trying to close the gender pay gap or lobbying parliament. In Ephesians 5, we get a list of what is known as the, the household codes. 
It says things like, wives, submit to your husbands so that your husband can love you and protect you and even give up his life for you as a demonstration of how Jesus loves the church. There's no sense of domination there. It's, it's a mutually beneficial arrangement because we are equal in value. Different, but equal. It says, children, obey your parents. But parents, don't frustrate your kids. Help them to flourish in the way of the Lord. You'll all live much better that way as much-loved children of God. It says, workers, honor your bosses. And bosses, treat your workers fairly. It never says open up pay divisions or dominate your wife and kids or enslave people. It never says that we also should fight for our rights since it assumes that we should be living and would be living like it instructs us to and therefore have no need to. This is the point. The Christian worldview is therefore very good news for our world. It's good news for a very, very fractured angry, increasingly absurd world. It tells a better story of equality and justice. And so we need to tell this story that all you need is found in the place and the person from where you originated, God. There's there's one more contemporary application that I want to look at this morning, and I've, I have battled all week with whether I even want to go here, knowing how deeply this issue is felt. But I, I think I have to, because I love you, and I consider it my pastoral responsibility to talk about things that are sometimes hard to talk about, but also because I do know how deeply this issue affects so many of you on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, and I want to honor you, and I want to communicate honor and love and respect for you. And of course, I want to glorify God and I want to teach the whole Bible, not just the things we find easy. So I don't think that I can shrink back from this one. I only hope I don't offend anyone. That's really not my intention, but please do feel free to come and speak to me about this issue. I'm still learning myself and I believe that this is a subject that we need to keep on the family table as we build God's family here together. This issue really is at the heart of issues of equality and justice and is one that is both sensitive but one that I feel a particular conviction to teach into. It's a, it's a few years old now, but I want to talk about the response to the death of George Floyd in 2020 that sparked the huge worldwide Black Lives Matter protests and which we need, now see embodied when sports people take the knee before sporting events in order to make the symbolic case for racial equality and justice. Um, and the reason I'm super conscious about talking about this this morning, but have chosen to, is because I'm a white middle-class, middle-aged man who grew up as a young boy in apartheid-ruled South Africa. And while I was too young to do anything about that at the time, apartheid has left a deep shadow over my country and it has shaped my own response to race equality deeply. It would be impossible for me to stand here and not say that I feel a profound sense of sorrow and regret about the lives that were and are affected by the apartheid regime. And I think I should also say how deeply a hatred I feel for racism, how much I detest it in all its forms, and how much I think 
our family here should take this matter seriously. I've been very much helped by the thinking uh, of, on this matter by others of you in the congregation who've either experienced or continue to experience racial inequality in some way. One of my favorite things about being part of Gateway is how multicultural we are. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't think if we, were, if we weren't as multicolored as we are, I don't think I'd want to be part of this church because we'd be failing to live up to what Genesis 1 tells us, that we're made in the image of God and that one day Jesus is returning for a worldwide church comprised of every nation and tongue and tribe. And this has made me think deeply about the connection between what we believe as Christians and the struggles that revolve around matters to do with equality in our culture, as we might see it when people protest or topple statues or take the knee. And it's important that we pay attention to these things. We should be rightly appalled at racism, since it's a complete distortion of what it means that humankind is created in the image of God and equally valued and loved by him. And I will happily give the rest of my days to quietly building God's church and dismantling the walls that prevent us from living out this wonderful calling of life in Jesus for people from all sorts of backgrounds. We should work... Bless you, thank you. We should, um, we should really work doubly hard as a church uh, and as a family to oppose and avoid any sort of separateness between us. We are the family of God. We're one body. Amen. We're one new person in Jesus Christ. The death of George Floyd was tragic for all sorts of reasons. Any, any violent death is. But we should note the extraordinary response that his death created when measured by other similar types of violence against so-called minority groups. And I believe, and for full disclosure, Glenn Scrivener makes this observation in his book, that it's because the death of George Floyd strikes such a deep chord in the human heart and points us to a similar story that is embedded in us all. George Floyd said these words, he said these words 27 times in nine minutes whilst a police officer held him down by digging a knee into his neck. I can't breathe. I can't breathe 27 times in nine minutes, and then he died. And then millions around the world marched, chanting, I can't breathe. And the point Scrivener makes, and the one which I wholeheartedly agree with, is that the reason this tragic story affects us so deeply, in spite of all of its racial tragedy and the necessary truth that black lives do matter, is that it also points us to another story. A story of a man on a hillside in Jerusalem in the first century, held down by oppressive authorities, an unarmed victim, suffering a public and humiliating death, who may also just as well have been uttering those words, I can't breathe. Remember the Martinez quote, the Western mind is like a tuning fork calibrated to one frequency. It's the Christ story. Hit it with the right Christ figure and it'll just hum deafeningly in resonance. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to us. Why on earth would he even do this? It's because he loves us. 
because we were made by his father out of sheer love. And just like any father who desperately loves their kids, he will do what it takes to protect them, protect us from harm and cover over our shame and bring us back from the edge of the cliff and save us and give us all that he has. And his death on the cross, the brutal, shameful, humiliating, excruciating death, even that word excruciate, it's a Latin word for of the cross, that death, thirsty, in pain, separated from God the Father, was solely 100% in order to take away our wrongdoing and restore to us the potential for what was uttered and originally intended in Genesis 1, made equally in the image of God for relationship with God. That's it. That's the whole shooting match. That's the gospel. We were made by God for God, and it's only through the death of Jesus and faith in him that this is now possible. That's what Evie will be declaring in a minute. That's what all of us who are part of the church have declared over the years. That's what millions have declared throughout the millennia. That is what is on offer today. You can fight and placard and struggle and strive for peace and love and acceptance and affirmation, and then you can die. Or you can simply come to Jesus today who invites you close. On the cross, he didn't breathe so that you could... He died so that you could live. Listen to what he's done, especially if you're not at peace with yourself or with others or with the state of the world today. This is Ephesians 2.14. It says, for he is our peace. He who has made the two groups one, one new man in Christ, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus has done what is necessary to bring down the wall between us and God and between us and each other. And his offer of life and relationship with God is on free offer to you today. This is the story that our world needs to hear. This is the story that your heart needs to hear. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I do thank you that in a quite literally absurd world, in a crazy, fractured, angry, protesting world, that all that we need, all that we need is found in you. And that it's through your death on the cross, it's through the sacrifice that you made, it's through the blood that you shed on our behalf, that we can now be reconciled to God. And we so gratefully receive that. Jesus, thank you that you have brought down the dividing wall of hostility between us and God. Thank you that in you, there is now one new man created, one new Adam, that all of us here, different ages, different backgrounds, stand equally valued before God this morning. We love you and we thank you. Amen.